Shomo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. G'day folks, this is Simo. Now, I know I don't normally sound this erotic, but I do have a case of the man flu, and any of our male listeners will know how extreme that can be. Welcome to episode 4 of our Thong Slappers short story series to the 60. For this instalment, Redman reads one of his favourites, titled Fucking and Punching. That's two activities you probably don't want to do at exactly the same time. We hope you enjoy. Cheers. Fucking and Punching, written by Redman. I first kind of drafted this piece after listening to Nebraska, song by Bruce Springsteen decades ago. The last 43 words in this piece are Bob Dylan's purely, and the title Fucking and Punching I got from a mentor of mine, Mr. Hank Moody. So by the power vested in fiction, let's roll. Fucking and Punching, written by Redman. Rosemary shot him in the chest. Blasted his chest as he slept. No loss, she thought to herself. He would get fuck all done today, dead or alive. He was not doing anything useful. She felt like she'd achieved something decent this morning by mincing the cheating dog's chest. The cheating never worried her. In fact, she silently welcomed it, while outwardly faking the required vigilance. He was too dim to see his bullshit. Rosie figured anybody willing to share that boring, disappointing event is more than welcome to it with the added advantage of reducing her time at the vile task. The sun beat down this morning as she tore at the earth with her shovel. Her hands hurt. So far this morning she'd swung a 30-30 rifle and a shovel. Shoveling was a man's job, she thought. She wished for a crazy, fluff-struck, offside to help. A third side for a fatal love triangle. Helping dispose of a lover's body is basic rock and roll 101. Where have all the wild men gone, she mused. Uh, yeah, that's right. We lost them when they started chasing Pokemon on Facebook. With the former useless prick now being of some use by increasing the organic levels of a small patch in Australia's geography, Rosemary headed back to the house. She packed a suitcase and threw it in the large boot of the charger, the second large load this car had carried this morning. This charger, his charger, had frustrated her no end. He had spent five years restoring it. Countless times he'd gone out of his way to prove his stupidity while doing this project which baffled her as she needed no further proof. One time in particular stood out and she replayed it in her mind. While moving her car into the front yard, she accidentally stirred up some dust which poured down the ire of the arm-waving, belly-aching, useless prick. He scolded her and raved on about the dust getting into the engine oil pump he was rebuilding on his bench. Following her half-hearted apology, he continued to rant leaving Rosie no choice but to attack. She pointed out he is being careful while rebuilding stupid pump for a car and protecting the pump from the apocalyptic hell of one gram of yard dust while smoking a cigarette. The irony is lost on him, so she breaks it down and informs he's fixing a $200 pump while destroying a non-replaceable blood pump that fits inside his chest. The pump in his chest being far more easy to damage and basically impossible to replace. She walks away and can hear the gears grinding inside his hollow head. Later that evening, when he told her of her plans to, his plans to quit smoking, she convinced him to stay on the cancer sticks by telling him if he can find something he enjoys 30 times a day, he should stick with it, because too many people never find that kind of happiness. Hook, line and sinker, and his eventual heart attack at 50, she smiled to herself. 
That was by no means the worst of her frustrations with the charger. Once it was restored, he cleaned it out and dry humped his own reflection in the window. He posted 1,000 photos on Facebook of it, which would be narcissistic if he knew what it meant. Rosemary admitted to herself the 1972 Hemi Orange Charger Coupe was sexy. With hopes of some long weekend summer cruises up and down the coast in the coupe, she booked a couple of motels and on a Thursday arvo told him of the plan and that she would pack their clothes into the Charger. According to the useless prick, there was no way he was driving the Charger on the highway roads full of potholes and washouts. He did not spend his time and money on it to destroy it with stone chips and motel car park dins. He took it to local car shows driving it was like it was made of Easter eggs, the entire time fretting about rain and sun. He enjoyed the attention it got, but it amused Rosemary as it seemed to be a man magnet. If 50-year-old men was his things, he would be swimming in sex. He spent an entire long weekend on eBay chasing seats for it. The next weekend he fitted them. She went into the shed and agreed the new black vinyl did look great inside the orange coupe. So good in fact, she immediately propositioned him. He looked shocked and refused for fear of damaging the new seats. She knew then and there one day that she would have to kill him. She was born in the 70s and grew up in the 80s and any man that will not fuck in a charger does not deserve to live. He has a useless prick. So with hubby com composting and the charger full throttle, Rosemary left her old life. Almost. One last stop. The dick farm. Rosemary wondered how she would react if she was put next to the feminist and equal right activists that fought to ensure women could enter the workplace full-time in them dark ages last century. Thanks to the passionate, hard-working activists of the 60s and 70s, Rosie now stands in line at 4.30am in the mess of a mining camp. She eats and then does a 12-hour day. With the sleep still fresh in her eyes, the alarm sounded at 4 o'clock a.m., how the fuck did them do-gooding bitches manoeuvre womankind into the front line of this fucking endless, thankless, underpaid and boring cycle of working full-time as equals for men, she asked herself. Men are stupid. They should work full-time to support us. It was perfect before they started dragging us out of bed at dawn to work with them. Fucking useless pricks must be still pissing themselves. Rosie thinks it's up. Rosie thinks about starting a movement to bring back unequal rights that sees women return to the home and men made to slave. Who wouldn't want a man slave? Tell them that we do not want to work because it's too hard and they are so big and strong, they best do it. So with this morning full of husband murder and muscle car theft, she pays a visit to her work, the dick farm. Rosemary storms into the pre-start wearing a summer dress and somehow everybody sees her despite her not being dressed in orange high-vis. She yells at the entire room. If I punch everybody, I'll go to jail for the same amount of time as if I punch one of you. Making an instant decision, she punches the safety rep first. He buys it because he's talking out of his ass. Then her previous psychopathic boss gets punched so hard she wouldn't know her own name. Rosemary almost recants and lets the rest go back to work but figures fuck it and wails into them while they cower and wait for the cops. Part 2. The Crusade Rosie left her workmates at the dick farm bleeding and bruised, but alive, figuring killing them meant they would no longer have to work there, and that seemed like a reward. She punched the charger out onto the highway and deliberately hitting some potholes and washouts. The old iron charger never whimpered as it headed north into the sun along the coast. 
On the passenger seat of, was her 30-30 rifle and a collection of tapes. She slipped the Credence Clearwater Revival tape in, threw her Wayfarers on and reloaded the rifle, all the time overtaking anything that was rolling along the same road. As she nursed her weapon, she decided this was a crusade. Let any man say otherwise. She yelled out the window as she thundered past a line of land cruisers rooftop tents driven by clones. An outlaw should head north, she mused. Darwin, she decided, would be a great place to head for. She never cared too much to live in Darwin. She just wanted to head as far north as she could get. In fact, she never cared too much to live. As dawn broke, Rosemary rolled into cans, feeling exhausted. She refilled the muscle car, then parked near the beach and poured herself into the back seat. Sleep came easy. Around 11am she awoke and felt the need to get mobile again, to head north, by northwest. The charger sounded glorious when she turned the key. Sweet coverretted tunes flowed out of it. While Rosemary feathered the throttle and worked the choke to warm up the engine, she noticed a row of young people sitting on the foreshore. Five or six young backpackers, who without exception, all sat on the foreshore silently staring into their iPhones. That is, until the murderer had obtained correct cylinder temperature in her charger. Using whatever stealth belonged to a bright orange 70s muscle car, Rosie mounted the gutter with the front left wheel only a little above idle, as to not attract attention of the backpackers. When the Charger was committed to a true beeline, she mashed the throttle. The 1971 Chrysler Charger Landshark has no natural predators among the universal brotherhood of backpacking, and with this freestyle slaughter in mind, the Charger was pointed into the unwashed wearers of rear-mounted luggage. They scattered and fled on sandals and barefoot, the bumper bar on this model was built from steel in Australian factories. Rosie laughed as the big bumper crumpled the backpackers, and she thought to herself, the men who made these bumpers last century would approve. A few of the more nimble jumped clear aim and be hit with a round from Rosie's 30-30. With the morning now nearly spent, the lady murderer sped out on, on route north. Rosie sped past a police car going the other way. She was sailing at 80 mile an hour, with no seatbelt on and drinking a beer. Rosemary screened the rearview mirror and noted the police car never turned around. The copper may have sensed her intent. The officer just saved one life by not stopping her. She growled at the dash dashboard, That is some fine work, officer, then mock saluted out the window. Scratching around through the tape, she found the one she wanted and inserted it. The boss started singing, From the town of Lincoln, Nebraska. A thousand miles west of the broken coastal backpackers, the now filthy charger is sitting next to a bowser in a remote servo. She liked the way it looks now, with windows covered in outback dust, the body and paintwork covered with road grime, the passenger's footwell now littered with empty beer cans and rifle shells. The underbelly now full of fuel, Rosemary reaches into the car and grabs for her rifle. She has plenty of money, but this will be robbery for the thrill. As she reaches the door of the building an overweight toothless trucky exits carrying a bounty of chips and coke he falls dead before he makes another step as the rifle fires rosie steps over him and struts into the shop tommy's on duty at the console of the server and he watched her get the gun out of the car but was unable to stop the murder rosie looks at tommy and says that trucky will smell better in two days in this heat and then bursts out laughing at her own mccabe joke tommy is alone at this remote fuel stop with a destroyer of life and peace the Crux, Part 3. She points with the sharp end of the rifle and motions for Tommy to get into the charger. Murder and robbery might as well be kidnapped murder and robbery. Now she pushes the barrel hard into Tommy's chest. Twenty years of crawling bottled up inside him and left his spirit almost empty. 
This weapon at his lungs is beautiful, he thinks to himself. Finally something he can feel. Here is an outlaw woman who arrived in a valiant and is threatening his life. His worthless, boring life. Fuck it, thinks Tommy, and all the meekness and trivial worry lifts from his life. He feels it live like an amputation. Tommy tells Rosemary that he thinks her gun is beautiful. The words have more base and venom in them than any other words that have left his lip. Rosie pushes the barrel harder into his chest and replies, You will not think so, and I'll mince your chest with it. Horseshit, Tommy growls back at her. Your gun is beautiful, and if it relieves me of another 20 years of waiting around for death, well then it's all the more beautiful. The steel in his voice transposes the truth in his words. Rosie sees his eyes change. They go from clerk eyes to man eyes. Tommy tells her again that her gun is beautiful and he is ready to die because of her or for her. He pushes his chest harder into the barrel which closes the gap between the two. He grabs her shoulder with so much confidence that she is caught off guard. He grabs the gun and lays it across the barrel of the charger. To the casual observer, Tommy's shadow has not changed. It still occupies the same space on the dry ground. But to the killer Rosemary, he's grown huge. He is now menacing. He is not a useless prick. He is not 170 centimetres or 75 kilograms. He is the only thing in the world. He penetrates her body and her crusade with the animal's ferocity, blasting her. Tommy has had a few girlfriends and normally ends up sawing useless passionate promises into their brow until they bore and leave him. But until now, he has never fucked. This is the shapeshift some men go through. Some at 17, some at 47. The disconnection. No apologist, no non-binary bullshit, no disclaimer, no talk, no balk. It's the call of the wild. It has little to do with women and has nothing to do with conquest. Nothing to do with satisfaction or reproduction. It is about fucking. Unleashed. No search for partners or pleasure. It's just fucking. This is what happened to Tommy. A death, a death threat from a blonde murderer in a muscle car electrified him. The recently disarmed murderer is feeling Tommy's zeal and following his rhythm and drive with her own heat and aerobic thrashings. Both are thumping at reaching their own goals. Rushing the result is not important. The climax will be fatal. Both know whoever finishes first will grab the gun and murder the other, then drive off with the charger and the money. Yet neither of them wanted to end. Postscript Part 4 The next day was hanging day. The sky was overcast and black. Big Jim laid covered up, killed by a penknife in the back. And Rosemary on the gallows, she didn't even blink. The hanging judge was sober. He hadn't had a drink. The end.